So we celebrate what God has done in this series, in that moment last week. It's something we're celebrating with those 29 who took that step. But what can happen in a moment like that is I think a question can arise. And maybe you've been here, I know I have, but we had this big awakening in life and a big moment. We, we come back into a relationship with God, maybe for the first time or the next time, and, and, and we get baptized or whatever it may be, and then the hype starts to settle down and a question arises, and that question is, now what? What do we do now? Have you ever had a now what moment? I know I have had a ton of them. I had you know, a bunch of now what moments in my life. Uh, one of them was college. You know, I was excited. I'm going to college on my own, no curfew, freedom. It's going to be a wonderful time. And we move, I move into the dorm, and I had a now what moment because it was like, well, now who's going to do my laundry? You know, who's going to, like, make me my food each night? Like, it's a big now what moment. Marriage is a big now what moment. My, you know, my, my, our wedding with Danielle and I was amazing, tons of fun. But, you know, the wedding was over. It's like, whoa, we're married. Now what? This is crazy. We live together. It's a bunch of craziness. Things were different. Uh, kids are definitely a now what moment. Uh, you know, our, our first no when he was born, uh, first two days were awesome. We're at Waukesha Memorial, and the doctors and nurses at Waukesha Memorial are amazing. And they were so great at taking care of Noah and Danielle and me. They would uh, keep Noah in the nursery at night so we can get some extra sleep. And, you know, we had, like, room service for food. It was awesome. And then those guys had the nerve to kick us out after two days. Well, now what do I do? Like, you're supposed to help me take care of this. I don't know what to do. I've never done this before. And so we get home, and Noah's just a few days old, and Danielle's in a different room doing something, and I'm bonding with my son, having a great moment holding him and just being in awe of this amazing creation. And then I feel this warm sensation on my lap. I look down. Noah decides to blow out of his diaper, and there is poop and pee all over me. Now what? I did the only thing I could think of in that situation. I screamed for Danielle. And I yelled for her, and she comes in thinking something is horribly wrong. And she looks at my crappy situation, and <laughs> that was punny. Uh, but she looks at my, look, it just starts laughing. And, you know, if it was like, you know, now I could have just, you know, picked up Noah or a baby, just hosed him down, hosed me down, good to go. But I was in a now what moment. So she took Noah, got him cleaned, I got cleaned up. It definitely was a now what moment for me. I've had now what spiritual moments too. I found my way back to God for the first time back when I was a kid in elementary school. And, you know, I believed in God. I trusted in what Jesus did through the cross. I believed God loved me and I loved him. And so I took that step to be baptized. And it was a great, great moment. My youth pastor baptized me. Um, we celebrated as a family. We celebrated as a church. Everybody from my church, I grew up in a smaller church, uh, everyone came up and gave me a hug that day, including the old lady who wore way too much perfume that day, because I'll never forget it. Um, but it was a great, amazing moment moment in my life. But then that, that evening, you know, after the hype died down, I kind of thought, okay, tomorrow I go back to the same old school, same old schedule. It really feels like the same old life. Now what? Have you ever had a now what moment? Maybe it was a kid coming into your world, or maybe it was a job change, or maybe it was a, a death of a loved one. It could be any life-changing moment. Something happens, and we go, now what? What do we do? How do we change? How do we go about living? I think this happens for all of us, especially in spiritual uh, matters. You know, I don't know where you stand in your relationship with God right now. And maybe you wouldn't identify yourself as a follower of Jesus uh, right here as you sit this morning. But I'm so pumped that you're here because I think what we're going to talk about today both has an impact on you now and maybe in your future. Of when, maybe when you have a now what spiritual moment. 
Or maybe you're here and you found your way back to God a long time ago and you're thinking, this series, this week, this whole idea, this is for other people. I've done this a long time ago. Well, today's for you too. Because we all need reminded of how to answer that now what question that pops up all the time when it comes to our relationship with God. Or maybe you were here and you got baptized last week. You were one of the 29 and you just found your way back to God. You're definitely in that now what moment. What do I do? I know where you're at. And today is especially and definitely for you too. You see, this is why the series couldn't end last week. It would have been great just to celebrate those 29 baptisms and move on. But we got to keep going with this series one more week because we have to answer the now what question. And that leads us to our fifth and final awakening. And that's awakening to life. You see, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, Jesus didn't come just to rescue us. He also came to give us the life that God intended for us to have. What was awesome in the story of the prodigal son is Jesus told that story. When the son is coming home and he is ready to just accept the role of a lowly servant in his father's house, an amazing scene unfolds. The father runs to him and hugs him and loves him and forgives him and accepts him and brings him back into the family. And it was a great depiction as Jesus is telling the story. This is what God does to us when we start coming back to him. He runs to us to love us, to forgive us, to bring us back into, fa- into the family. But the older brother in this story, who was with his father the whole time, kind of has this self-righteous fit. And he starts to question his dad of how he could be so loving and so forgiving and so willing to accept his younger brother back into the family when he did what he did. And the father talks to his older son and just says a powerful and profound thing in regards to the younger brother. He says this in Luke 15, 32. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was dead, now he's alive. Now when someone passes away, we, we have a funeral for them. We, uh, we remember them, we say, you know, we, 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 we say goodbye to our loved ones. It's a chance to say uh, goodbye, we have that funeral. Now in this culture, when that younger son would have done what he did, he essentially would have been dead to his family. He essentially said, Dad, I don't really care if you're alive or not, you could be dead for all I care, just give me my inheritance and I'll be on my way that family would have treated him as dead. They actually would have had a funeral for him to say their goodbyes to their younger sibling, younger, younger son, and they would have lived life as if that child, that brother, was dead moving forward. And so when the father said, your, your younger brother, this, my son, was dead, now he's alive, he meant that. It really was like he came back to life, and that was something worth celebrating. And so when the son came back, he not only found love, but he found life. And he found it to the full. And this is what God does for us. But what made the prodigal son dead to begin with? Because obviously he wasn't physically dead. I think Jesus was was speaking to the spiritual deadness that was in his life and all of our lives at one point or another. And what made him dead? That's an important question we have to look at. And when you want to find out how someone dies, we do an autopsy. And so what I want to do today is I want to do an autopsy of a spiritually dead person. In this case, it's the prodigal son. What evidence do we find that shows that he was dead? And the first thing that we see is a dead person, the the prodigal son here, is he left his father. You see, the father-son relationship is so important, both in that culture and that context, but also in the grand scheme of it with our relationship with God. It's a father-child relationship. And the son in this story, he left that relationship with his father. He just, he cut ties and said, Dad, you could be dead for all I care. I'm out. 
I'm gonna take this life that you've given me and I'm gonna do better on my own. He left that relationship with his father. That's the first piece of evidence that he was dead. The second was he had no real community around him. Now, I'm sure when he had money and he was blowing all of his wealth and his inheritance, he had tons of friends hanging around him. Guys he was partying with, pulling all-nighters with, they loved the guy with all the money. But when the money ran out and there was no more money for parties and alcohol and prostitutes and all the fun they were living it up with, there was no more friends. He had no real community. He was alone. He was so alone, in fact, that he finally took a job to feed pigs. He, didn't, he, didn't, he had no one to say to him, hey, why don't you come stay with me for a while until you get back up on your feet? Or, hey, let me provide some meals for you to take care of you. He had nothing. He fed pigs. And the food, was, the food started looking appetizing that he was giving to the pigs because he literally had nothing. No food, nothing, no community, no friends. He had no community. Another piece of evidence that he was dead. And he also, the final piece of evidence is that he lived for himself. He lived for himself. He essentially said, Dad, this life you've given me, I can do better on my own, so give me my money. I don't want to work for you. I can do better controlling my own actions and my own money. And essentially, he didn't care about anybody else but himself. The God of the prodigal son's life at this moment was himself. He worshiped and loved himself most. And for that, he served only himself. This is what made him dead. This is what the autopsy shows, that he left his father, he had no real community, and he lived for himself. But let me ask you this. Can the evidence that can be found in the prodigal son's life that made him dead, can that evidence be found in your life too? Because the truth is, we all go through the same thing. All of us leave God You and I, we were created for a relationship with God. God uh, designed us to do that. But at one point or another, all of us, whether by words or actions or beliefs, we've all said, God, I don't need you. I'm taking this life that you've given me, and I'm going to do a better job controlling it myself. So I got this from now on. I don't need that, my relationship with you. And we walk away from God. We walk away from our Heavenly Father. We also don't have a community around us. We don't have people to speak into us, to encourage us, to challenge us, and hold us accountable in our relationship with God, in our marriages, in our relationship with our kids or at our jobs, whatever it may be. Sure, we all have friends, but very rarely do we allow them so close and so in-depth into our lives, they become real community. That we give them permission and the freedom to speak into our lives and to hold us accountable and to care for us and to love us and meet our needs like we're supposed to do for each other. We don't have real community. And we also live for ourselves. We make decisions based off what's best for us and not other people. We have the mentality that it's my money, it's my skills, it's my passions, it's my time, so I'll use those things how I deem best for me. And we live and worship ourselves. You see, the same thing that made the prodigal son dead is the same thing that can make us dead. And some of you are thinking right now in this room, if you're honest with yourself, whoa, I'm dead. And you feel it. You feel an emptiness. You feel a longing for something more. You you feel regret. You feel like you're spiritually dead. But just like the prodigal son, you can find life. And we find life through Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish or die, but have eternal life. We find life 
through Jesus. We find it through trusting him. We find through Jesus, we find God, our father, running for us to love us and forgive us. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we, a bunch of dead people, can be brought back to life. And in fact, when we actually take that step of baptism like people did last weekend, it actually shows this exact idea. Romans 6, 3 through 4, Paul writes this. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So anyone here who was baptized last weekend or anyone here who's ever been baptized, what that's showing is, hey, I was dead and now I'm alive. Now I'm alive. And so the, the, the answer to the question of now what? Well, now we start living. We don't go back to living like a dead person. We start living the life that Jesus died to give us. And so just like we study the dead person of what made the prodigal son dead, I think it's important that we study of what an alive person looks like. And the first thing is this. If, if, if the dead person left his father, an alive person stays with our father. We were meant and created for a relationship with God. God created you. He formed you. He knows you, knows everything about you. And so when we find our way back into a relationship with him, we live life in that relationship. Jesus did this. Jesus, all the time, he went to the temple to worship God, his father, and celebrate that relationship with him. Uh, He would constantly go off by himself to pray and spend time alone with God, his father. At River Glen, we call this celebrate. We celebrate our relationship with God. We do that uh, publicly through weekend services just like this. And we do that privately through our own prayer time and Bible reading time with God as we're spending time with him. Now, when we celebrate that relationship with God, though, it's not meant to be some chore. We're not supposed to have this attitude of like, okay, i got to go to church because that's what I'm supposed to do. And I've got to read my Bible because that's what I'm supposed to do. Or it's dinner time. We should pray for and and thank God for our meal because that's what we're supposed to do. It's not supposed to be some chore. Now, imagine if I, I treated my marriage like this. If you overheard me talking or someone or I was talking to you and I was like, yeah, I've got to... I'm going to take Danielle on a date tonight because I forgot Valentine's Day. I screwed up. And so now I have to take her for Mexican food because that's all she's craving with this pregnancy, which is true. It's really weird. It's all, it's all Mexican food all the time. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, I'm her husband. It's what I'm supposed to do. So I'll do it. Now, how many of you guys would just slap me right away? Because I'm just being stupid, right? Uh, but what would that say about my marriage and my relationship with my wife? Is there any excitement? Does it show that I'm celebrating my wife and celebrating our marriage? Not at all. And sometimes that's how we treat our relationship with God. I go to church because I have to. I'm not going to sing. That's not really my thing. But I'll just, I'll just sit there and, and, and I'm not going to really celebrate. Or, I, you know, I'd like to read my Bible. I'm just so busy. God understands. Is that, you know, when we live our relationship out with God like that, it doesn't sound much like a celebration. But that's what it's meant to be. We were dead and he made us alive. That's something we're celebrating. And so maybe we need to have a little change of an attitude with our relationship with God to remember what he's done for us. Maybe we need to come here on the weekends ready to celebrate what God has done for us and through us. That's what every weekend is about. We're celebrating what God did through his son, Jesus. Maybe we need to come ready to celebrate on the weekends. And maybe we need to make time. Maybe you need to make time to celebrate your relationship with God privately. Having a prayer time and having a Bible reading time every day. 
Something I'd recommend that you do is download the YouVersion Bible app on your, your phone, your iPad, whatever it is. Sign up for a reading plan and whatever one fits you best and you'll get a reminder every day to celebrate your relationship with God. But you have to make time with for it. You have, it has to be purposeful. You see, evidence that shows that we are alive is, is the fact that we celebrate our relationship with God. We stay with God. And then... If the dead man had no real community and a live one has a community around us. We are meant to be in community with each other, people to encourage us, to challenge us, people to celebrate our relationship with God with together. We were never meant to live this life alone. In fact, the first thing that God said that wasn't good in his creation was the fact that Adam was alone. And so he created Eve. And so a lot of times we think that's a big marriage thing, which it is to a point, but it's not just marriage. It's something bigger. It's community. It's the fact that we are not meant to live this life on our own. We need others around us. Jesus did this. He had a close group of people around him, his apostles, and they traveled together and they did ministry together and they ate together and they laughed together and they cried together. They did life together. They were a community and this brought each of them life. At River Glen, we call this connect. And this is our relationship with other people. Each week, we have over 600 people connecting to each other in relationships through groups and classes and different gatherings, praying together, celebrating together. This is a vital part of living the life that God came to give us because together is always better. It's always better. This is why we want every single one of you in a group and maybe you've never uh, joined a group, and maybe you're not in a group right now because you're busy, or maybe uh, you're, you're, it's a little scary to take that step of a small group. I understand that. It's a tough step. But you need to check it out and see what this whole community thing's about. We have the perfect small group starting up for you on Thursday nights. Uh, it's going to be in line with our next series called The Road, which you'll hear about a little later on in service. But each Thursday you meet here as a group. It's led by one of our pastors, John Howard. And you'll just dig into what we're talking about on the weekends, but you'll experience what community is meant to be as we encourage each other, pray for each other, and celebrate our relationship with God together. There's child care available on Thursday nights. We'll do everything we can to take all the barriers away so you can try and see what this thing's about. And to find out more information or to sign up, stop at the Resource Center before you leave. Evidence that we're alive is when we connect to other people in a community of believers. And then the last thing is if the dead person lived for himself, then the alive person lives for others. Just like Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve, we are called to serve others in this life. At Riverland, we call this contribute, and this is our relationship with the world. This is not only evidence of us being alive, but it's us bringing life to other people. Two Fridays ago, we had uh, some people from River Glen partner with Legacy Christian Church, one of our church plants, to put on a night to shine, which is a prom for, for people with special needs. And this was just a bunch of people bringing life and bringing love like Jesus called them to. And what was amazing with this event is that every one of the guests, uh, they all were crowned king and queen that night. And they all had their own individual crowns. And they were all dressed up in suits and ties and dresses. And they were beautiful and looking awesome. And there was music for them and food for them and decorations for them. It was awesome. And it all happened because people brought life to them. There was even a room where all the parents of the guests could go and hang out and relax and have an evening for themselves as well. And this happened because a bunch of dead people were made alive and they were living like it. 
This is what they did. This is how they brought life to others. And what's amazing about serving others, it's not just bringing life to other people, it's bringing fulfillment and life to ourselves. When we are using the gifts that God's given us, we are, living, we are more alive than ever because we're living in a way, the way that God wired us to do it. We're using what he's given us to love and serve and contribute to others. So maybe you need to start living by serving others. Maybe it's time for you to jump into a ministry here or somewhere to get involved and start contributing to what God is doing in our community, in our church, and across the world. If that's you, I want to encourage you to stop at the info center and talk to a volunteer to see what it's like to get more involved here. Or go onto our website and take the spiritual gifts assessments to see how God has wired you to use your gifts to contribute around here. Evidence that we're alive is when we contribute to what God is doing in our area. You see, Jesus brings us back to life. Now we just need to start living like it. I want you to hear the story of a really good friend of mine named Ben. I met Ben uh, almost seven years ago, shortly after I moved to Wisconsin. Uh, and Ben served with me in the youth ministry for years. He's a great friend. And one thing about Ben is if you just spend five seconds with him, you realize this is one of the most joyful, most alive people you, you'll, you'll ever meet. It, it's who he is. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. And it's so evident uh, in his life. But it took him finding his way back to God to really live that out. And I want you to hear his story of how he did that. My name is Ben. I've been coming here since, it's hard to tell at this point, but probably close to 10 years or so. I was, I was brought up in a family where there was an emphasis on praying and um, there was an emphasis on God as well. Um, but I got to say, it didn't... It didn't really come full circle to me until I really made my faith my own. Growing up, I just, and you know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, but when you're in high school, you want a cool image. You want to, you know, um, be portrayed as a cool person. And, and you know, in today's society, if you start talking about God, it's not necessarily portrayed as cool to everybody else. And as soon as I got into high school and a little bit further into college, and um, didn't necessarily put a priority on having a relationship with God. That's when I was kind of listening to what my friends said and listening to what TV said, and that was shaping my perception on, uh, on God and Jesus. I was just jealous of other people. I was just, um, I was a pessimist, just negative about everything. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel like anything was going anywhere in life. And so um, for that, everything just kind of felt just dark and um, it was just more just this this desire to just fill my own needs um, and that just it just it's not a good feeling at all and then suddenly when my mom said hey Ben you know um, you've been to church in a while would you want to come back I was just at such a point in my life where it didn't sound at all like a bad idea to come sit in church for a little while and as soon as I just came into a setting like River Glen and just realized how arms wide open everybody was and just um, the house that is just built on love and Jesus' promise, it just, it just felt right. I, I guess, and this is the cool part about serving, is there really is something for everybody. Um, I started going to the edge and helping out um, on the soundboard, and I, I've always loved music, and so um, it came to a point where they actually needed another bass player, and so I started playing bass for the edge, and then Brandon Stevenson eventually asked me, um, hey man, would you ever want to be um, you know, a youth leader? And I almost had to take a step back and say, your time, Ben, is not that valuable to yourself. Like, you need to 
you need to seriously consider helping them. And um, that's kind of that's kind of where I felt like giving back. When I was growing up, the word love, I, I was just kind of applying it to like a like you know a husband and wife. Really though, love. When you think about the word love, it's it's hard to define. It, you you really can't put it into words. But you know what it feels like. You know when somebody's is loving you. I guess there came a day when I just kind of looked at my life and thought, wow, everything has been set up so well for me. I, like, can I? Is there a possibility that I could be loved by? You know, this God, it's the most incredible love we could ever even know. Um, the most relentless love we could know as well. The only th thing I can even guess why somebody wouldn't accept that love is because when I was going back to talking about image, it's not a very cool image to, to even say the word love or to show love to other people. Um, typically when I see people these days, they're, you know, blowing people off or um, not acknowledging other people. And, and it's just, in today's society, it's just, it's not cool, so to speak, to love. But you know what, when you really think about it, there is no cooler thing in the world than to love other people. There really isn't. Um, you are just filled to the brim with just happiness and just joy when you um, have love as your base and when, um, you know, when there's that reciprocal love between you and your Heavenly Father and you and, you know, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's Ben. Ben was dead, now he's alive. And what's amazing about Ben, he is literally one of the most amazing people that I know. He is so full of love, both for God and others. He's encouraging, he's full of grace. There's no counting how many kids he's impacted in our youth ministries over the years. And it's not him doing it, it's Jesus. So Ben was dead, Jesus made him alive, and now he's living like it. And Jesus can do this for all of us. Maybe you're here and you are dead. You're not a follower of Jesus. You feel it. Jesus can bring you life. Or maybe you're here and you found your way back to God, and, but you're not living that life. You don't feel like you're living this, this, you're not awakening to life. Maybe that's what you need to do is live the life that Jesus came to give you. Or maybe you were just baptized and you're really in this now what moment. And now you live. Now you celebrate, you connect, you contribute, you live the life that Jesus died to give you. But here's the thing to remember as we're kind of wrapping up our time together. If we're going to live life, we have to live life on purpose and we have to live it together. Because here's the thing, we're not going to accidentally just live life the way God intended to. We're not going to accidentally celebrate our relationship with God and spend time with Him in, in prayer and reading Scripture. We're not going to accidentally do that. And we're not going to accidentally just stumble into a community of people that loves us and cares for us and helps meet our needs when we need that to happen. It's not going to accidentally happen. We're not going to accidentally get over ourselves and start just serving others naturally. It won't accidentally happen. We have to purposely do it. We have to purposely make time for God and make time for community and make time to serve others. And in doing so, that's how we'll live the life that God wants us to live. So we have to do it on purpose and we have to do it together. We can't do this on our own. We do it together or we don't do it at all because that's how God designed the church to work. Because when we start living life on purpose and we start living it together, it's not just awakening us to life. It's awakening and bringing life to other people and helping them find their way back to God. You see, this series wasn't just for you and me. This series is for our family members and our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our loved ones who are far from God right now. 
It's for those who are longing for something more. It's for those who are living with regret and realizing they need help and they want to experience love and they want to be raised from death to life. But they need someone to bring that to them. And here's the thing. Dead people can't do that. Only those who are alive can. And so we need to live the life that God intended. We need to awaken to life, not just for us, but to bring life to others. We need to live as a bunch of people who were dead and now we're alive and we celebrate that. And we connect with others about that and we contribute because of that truth. We're alive because Jesus brought us back to life. So let's start living that way. Each week we celebrate our relationship with God and we celebrate this truth that we were dead and now we're alive through communion. And this really is a part of our celebration of our relationship with God. where We remember his death, his sacrifice through his son Jesus so that us who were dead can be brought back to life. And for those who are followers of Jesus, we invite you to remember to worship, to celebrate that in this moment with the bread and the juice that remembers the body and the blood. And it's here that we reflect, that we remember, that we celebrate, where we can say, hey, I was dead and now I'm alive. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for this chance to come together, to, to hang out, to sing, to celebrate our relationship with you. And God, that's what we're doing. We're celebrating that because of what you did for us. You sent Jesus. We didn't deserve him, but you gave him to us. So we, who are dead, can become alive again. So God, help us to awaken to life. God, help us to celebrate that relationship with you and connect with each other and contribute to the things that you're doing here through River Glen in our community and across the world. God, help us to live that life. God, help us to do it on purpose. Help us to live it together. We love you. Thank you for loving us. And here we pray. Amen.